It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, May the 19th, 2016. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad that you are out there in cyberspace joining with us to think about some important truths from the word of God. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm not in my regular seat. Uh, Jacob is uh, occupied with other matters tonight, so I'm sitting in his seat and sitting over in my seat. The, my usual seat is Monty Overton. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. And behind the board, we've got Kyle. Kyle Barnes, thanks for joining us, Kyle, and look forward to your comments as well. It's uh, good to be here. All right. <clears throat> we've got a topic tonight, uh, guys, that I think needs to be discussed because I think we see some problems uh, arising of course, they're not new, but maybe getting some new attention. We want to talk about the subject of grace, uh, and we want to talk about how it is both an amazing thing, but certainly a thing that is being abused. The subject of grace is being abused. So we sort of entitled our topic tonight, Grace, Amazing, but Not That Amazing. So we're going to start out talking about really what a wonderful thing God's grace is and how dependent we are upon it. But before we get done with our study tonight, we want to talk about how some people are abusing uh, the concept of grace and trying to get it to teach things that it does not teach. Earlier today, to our update list, we sent out this topic with some questions, seeking your feedback. Uh, if you're not on our list, we always tell you get on our list by sending an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just simply say, add me to the list, and we will do that. Uh, so uh, we sent out. These questions, one, what is grace? Two, why do we need grace? Three, what are some of the truly amazing things about God's grace? And then we want to get into some of the things that grace does not include, some of the perversions uh, that men have invented and tried to put them underneath the umbrella of God's grace. We want to talk about that. You can join us uh, in this study several ways. Uh, you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll try to keep monitoring our email inbox while the program is going on. Uh, a very good way to, to make your comments known is in our chat room uh, on the very page where you have accessed the video of this program. There is a little lower than the video window. There is a chat room window, and you can join in the chat room. Uh, log in there. Give yourself a name, your your actual name or a pen name, somehow where we can identify you uh, distinctly as the one who is making the comments. But we get most of our feedback through the chat room. But we also have a phone line, and you can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567. Toll-free number, and you can call that. We'll try to get you on the air with us if you'd like to talk on the air with us tonight on the virtual Bible study. Monty. One of the most famous and beloved hymns of all time is the hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, and I think just the very title of that denotes the truth. God's grace is an amazing thing. Yeah, it is an amazing thing. And it, I guess to me, one of the most amazing parts is that he was willing to extend it to me. Yeah, you know, that, that's amazing all by itself. Exactly right. And we're going to talk more about that as we go on. I, I, I did a little background study on that hymn, Amazing Grace, and where it came from. Kyle, you ever know anything about it? Uh, it was written by John Newton. Uh, John Newton was a, a pretty rough-cut British sailor. He eventually became captain of a slave-trading ship uh, in 1748. So we're talking about way back there, 1748. Uh his ship nearly sank in a storm, and he credited God with saving him. Later, not he didn't write the song right then, but later, uh, after he had retired from his sailing, he became a Methodist preacher, 
And that's when he wrote the song Amazing Grace. But all believe that it related back to that episode where he believed that God saved him from shipwreck in the year 1748. John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. I got a note from uh, uh, our listener Troy up in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And Troy said that he, he checked a couple of old versions of Amazing Grace. Uh, the second verse says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears allayed. How precious did that grace appear when I, when I his word obeyed. Now catch that. How precious did that grace appear when I his word obeyed. But Troy says that newer versions, newer hymnals new, that include amazing grace say how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And he was wondering, and I don't know, I don't know myself uh, what to say about that, but he was wondering if that's been purposefully altered to take away the concept of necessary obedience in order to acquire God's grace. Uh, maybe so. I, I know some of the some of the hymns have been sort of toyed with, and some of the wording has been changed to try and get around some essential truths. But that and that might be one of them. Um, perhaps the earliest versions of Amazing Grace said how how uh, see uh, how precious did that grace appear when I His word obeyed might be so uh, we'll see. Uh, what about Grace Money? If you if you were given the assignment to define grace, what would you do with it? The understanding I would have for a definition of grace would have to do with unmerited favor or undeserved favor. Uh, when I think of grace and the unmerited, undeserved part, there's nothing I can do to deserve God's grace. And when you get down to it, if I had lived a perfect life and never sinned at all, I still haven't earned anything. I haven't done anything to merit God's favor. That's just what I owed already to begin with. So the fact that I haven't lived a sinless life and he's extended salvation to me means that I especially don't deserve what he's made available to me. I think that's exactly right. Uh and I think that's the definition that we usually give of grace. It is unmerited favor. So favor means a, a kindness, a doing something for someone. Unmerited means you don't deserve it. So God has shown us a kindness or done favor for us that we do not deserve. Uh, and I think that's uh, now I've, I've known some people who think that's an oversimplification of the meaning of grace. But I think that's a really good working definition. I think the scriptures uh, actually demonstrate that that's a fair definition. Uh, Psalm 84, verse 11, The Lord God is a sun and shield. <clears throat> the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God gives grace. He will not withhold any good thing, it says. Uh, James 1, verse 17, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights. So, Grace involves the good things that God gives us. First uh, Corinthians 1 verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Notice, it's given. God's grace is given. It's a gift. It's, it's something that God provides, although we don't deserve it. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's the unmerited part, I think, Monty, that God didn't do all these things for us because we're such great, wonderful people. Don't you agree? Yeah, he didn't do anything for me because I was a great, wonderful person. I freely admit that because I've made my share of mistakes and done my share of sins and probably done enough sins to be two or three other people's shares, too, if you want to be realistic about it. So the fact that he's extended salvation and made it possible for me to be Cleansed from those sins is absolutely not anything that I deserved because I was really special in some regard or another. Yeah, I, I have been concerned for years about what I think is a really faulty idea, this idea of uh, the, the sort of the self-esteem movement that, you know, people need to think more highly of themselves. And really, if you've got a problem in your life, the problem is you, you've got low self-esteem. You don't think enough of yourself. I really think, you know, it's interesting to me uh, in the last few years, I think we've begun to see even secular counselors begin to cast off that 
that line of reasoning, and they even they are beginning to realize, you know, that that's not working too good. You know, I don't know if that I can think of right off the top of my head of hardly anybody that has too low of opinion of their self. Occasionally there might, there might be somebody out there, but I don't think we run across them very often. That's right. I, I think there are some people who have sort of some sort of clinical mm-hmm. mental disorder in which they really are abusive to themselves and don't think enough of themselves. But, you know, it's interesting to me that the Bible thoroughly discusses the danger of thinking too much of yourself. I can't find any place in the Bible where it warns about thinking too little of yourself. Mm. All the warnings about thinking too much of yourself. And in regards to grace, we need to realize we're just desperate, despicable, lost sinners in need of God's grace because we can't do it without it. We, Without us getting something we don't deserve, then we're... we're going to be lost it, you know we, I, we don't want what we deserve that's right you know I, 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 I i'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard this comparison about mercy and grace mercy is when you don't get what you deserve grace is when you get what you don't deserve yeah and i think that's sort of i mean they go hand in hand right so by god's mercy we don't get what we deserve we deserve to be punished eternally in hell by his grace, we're given what we don't deserve, the, the privilege of being in fellowship with him and, and the hope of heaven in eternity. So mercy and grace, they go hand in hand, but they sort of look at the they look at things from the, the opposite end of the spectrum, I suppose. Psalm, Psalm 8, verse 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? And that's the question we're asking. Why would God care to think about us? Think about me. You know, I'm a despicable sinner. Uh, Certainly not worthy to be in in a relationship with the eternal God of heaven. And yet he chooses to make that possible for me. That's an amazing thing. And And I think that that's the idea of amazing grace. It is amazing that God would care for us. Yeah, that really sums it up real well. I think that's right. Uh we ask, what is grace? And hopefully we've defined that. We also, we ask, why do we need it? And, and I think we've really touched on that too. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is we can't get there on our own. The fact that I need it so desperately, or that, that I'm so unworthy of it, the unmerited favor part is why I need it so desperately. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of, uh, famous statements in the New Testament about grace with the idea that we can't get there on our own and by our own merit. Now, this is one we're going to talk about as being misused sometimes, but this is a famous passage in Ephesians 2, beginning verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice, this is... We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, there's no, there's no kind of works that I could do wherein I could boast and say, look at me, look what I've done. God, you owe me heaven. There's no, uh, there's no amount of work. There's no compilation of work. There's, there's no piling up of works that you could do. That will get you in a position where you could claim that you had earned your salvation. It's always going to be by grace that we are saved. Now, that's a misused passage. We'll talk some more about how it how it is misused. Uh, well, that's what I was getting at earlier. If I had lived, if we could possibly live a perfect life and never sin, we're not going to do it. Well, I mean, that's out of the question. But if we could, that's what we owed God to begin with. And so the fact that we messed up one time, if we only made one sin in our life, then we've disqualified ourselves because we didn't give God everything we owed him. If I'd done all the works that I could possibly ever do, well, stayed awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and done everything constantly, doing good works that God's or- before ordained, as it's said here in Ephesians, that's just what I was supposed to do to begin with. Yeah, and and when you messed up just one time... Then I ruined it all. And, ruined. and if I was perfect forever after that, I still owed all that to begin with, and that don't make up for the one sin. So we... We're, de- we're in a desperate situation when we've committed that first sin, yeah. and there's nothing we can do to fix it on our own. And if you think about all the great heroes of faith in the Bible, they all had the same problem. The yeah. greatest of them all. I mean, you name anyone that you want. You know, Abraham, Moses, uh, Elijah, 
Daniel. In fact, here's a here's a statement of Daniel. Daniel chapter nine, verse 18. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. Even Daniel said, you know, God, I want you to hear my prayer, but it's not because I'm a great righteous person that you should hear my prayer. It's because you're a great merciful God. You know, when we think about it, uh, I, I thought about something along that right line recently when we were studying in Exodus, I guess it was, and Moses had been up on the mountain 40 days and the children of Israel had made the golden calf and was worshiping before it and everything. And Moses went down and rebuked them and some of them were killed over it and then the rest of them was punished and anyhow, Moses, when he went back, talked to God, he was going about it that same way. You know, I, I want you to listen to us. I want you to pardon us. And he even told the people, I'm going to go talk to God. And maybe somehow or another, he'll pardon what we've done. But he didn't, when he went back, talk to him. He wasn't positioning that we're not, that we're a great special people and you ought to do this. He was very humble about it and asking if somehow or another God could pardon him. Exactly. And we see that over and over that people, Men of God in the Bible, when they're asking for pardon for something or another, they don't present themselves as special and worthy of it. They present themselves very humbly as being unworthy of it, but I'd like for you to forgive me anyway. Exactly right. Second Timothy 1, verse 9, God has saved us, called us with a holy calling. Notice, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So grace is, and again, I I think sometimes it gets criticized as a too simplistic statement of meaning, but grace is God's favor that we don't deserve, unmerited favor. And we are absolutely, totally dependent upon it because we could never get there through our own work, merit, or effort, we're depending upon God's grace. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we want to talk about some more aspects of this grace of God that is so amazing. Uh, you can join us in the chat room. This chat room has been pretty quiet. You can send us an email. You can call us at 877-381-4567. Join in the discussion. We're talking about God's grace. Right now, during the, this part of the program, we're talking about how amazing it is. Uh, and in the latter part of the program, we're going to talk about the fact that it's not as, ma- as amazing as some people try to make it out to be because they try to get some things included in the notion of grace that the Bible does not include. We'll, we'll head in that direction as we continue the virtual Bible study right after these comments. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is senseless. Preparation is essential no matter what the project may be. How much more essential then regarding eternal matters? It's important to break old habits. It's also important to make new good ones. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about grace tonight. 
it's um, it's amazing. God's grace is an amazing thing. And we're trying to, here at the beginning of our discussion, emphasize our need for it and how amazing truly that it is. And, Monty, you, you've already mentioned, you know, the idea that one of the amazing things about God's grace is that he showers it upon me, uh, that he showers upon us all, that he makes it available to us all. God's grace is for everyone. A couple of familiar verses from the New Testament. Titus 2, beginning verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So notice the grace of God hath appeared to all men. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, Hebrews 2, verse 9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So Jesus, uh, by God's grace, uh, tasted death for every man. That's amazing. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's particularly amazing when you think about how that men have rejected God, refused his will, uh, denied his even existence, and yet God holds out this opportunity to all men. Truly amazing. Well, what's amazing about it is the New Testament tells us that God had already set this plan forth before he created the plan to save us before he ever created us. He knew we were going to be this way and chose to be benevolent to us anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of times we think, well, if I'd have known something was going to be this way, I wouldn't have done it. If I you know, knew I'd, he was going to do that, I never would have. Yeah. I wouldn't have been nice to him to start with. You know, I heard somebody after the results of election, a particular politician acted a certain way. Said, well, if I'd have known he was going to be like that, I wouldn't have voted for him. And so we do things at times because we don't see the, the outcome or know the results, how it's going to be. But God knew, and he put a plan in place to save us anyway. He knew how wretched we'd be and wanted to save us anyway. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, because like, as you said, if... If I knew you were going to be just an absolute jerk, I wouldn't be nice to you in the first place. But God knew what kind of beings we were. Or he knew our weakness, our frailties, and yet he loved us anyway and provided by his grace a, a means of salvation. Um, in that passage that we were looking at a minute ago, Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, one of the things that's amazing about grace is that it teaches us how to look at life from a different perspective. You know, the people of the world, the people who have no spiritual inclination, they look at life through a, a, a very narrow uh, sort of tunnel vision. They, they just see life for the immediate carnal gratifications that it might be able to provide for them. But one of the amazing things about God's grace is that he gives us a, a, a whole different way of viewing things that provides meaning satisfaction and fulfillment in life that that a man without it cannot have notice the grace of god that brings us out titus 2 11 the grace of god that brings salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously godly in this present world um it's it's incredible that uh by god's grace we're given a means of living life that is actually far better than what we would have without that knowledge. You know, when you think about it, you know, back when we used to have TV, there was commercials come on advertising beer, and I don't remember what brand or whatever now, but it talked about living life with gusto, and it was always showing people uh, really and truly in sort of a riotous living. They was not modestly dressed and all these things, and you only live once, they would say, and you've got to live life with gusto. Well, God's saying we're only living once and that we should be undi- un- we should be denying this ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. And in the next verse, he gives the reason. It says, because we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's given us a goal to live for and told us to leave certain things off so that we can live in a way to achieve that goal. So we got it. We got a, a, a goal to work for, but also living this kind of life is better here and now too. Yeah. I mean, it 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 protects us from all kinds of heartache and trouble uh, if we'll live that sort of life that God's grace teaches us to live. So one of the things, one of the amazing things that God's grace does for us is that it teaches us a better way of living now and in view of eternity. Uh, we're really blessed by that. 
that's a good thing. And you, you got to feel sorry for the people who are living their lives, and all they get. Uh, I mean, this is all there is. This is this is all there is, you know. And when when it's over, there's nothing else to look forward to. That'd be a pretty sad existence. We don't have to live that way. You know, and they've lived for these all these carnal lusts while they was young, and then they finally get to an age that they're not able to fulfill those lusts anymore. They can't keep up anymore. Well, what's what's left for them? I, I mean, they've done wore their stuff out and destroyed their health. And now they can't do that anymore, and so so they don't have any gold left left to live for. They've they've lived a meaningless life, and now the final years of their life are even more meaningless. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, in Second Corinthians one twelve, it says, "In simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world." Conversation, of course, means way of life. Uh, so by God's grace, we have this way of life, the, the, the better way of life that we are describing. Um, in the chat room, we've got a question here. Monty, think about this. Some teach that we need God's grace to be able to respond to him. Uh, is man able to come to God without his grace first drawing us uh, if so, what about people who never heard? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, in one way of looking at it, I would say, no, we can't come to God without his grace first drawing us. Because if it wasn't for his grace, he wouldn't reveal this plan of salvation to us. So by grace, he's revealed to us what we need to know to do that. But I, the impression I get from the question is, 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 is God, do we have any choice in the matter? Is God manipulating us to cause us to be able to do this or giving us the ability to come to him. And I don't think that's the case because I think we see throughout the whole entire Bible, Old and New Testament, that man is a free moral agent. Uh, he can choose to do well or do evil. The information is there for us to make the choice by, but we have to choose ourselves. So it's not that God has put some irresistible, I've heard the phrase used, irresistible grace. It's not that it's out there and he's zapped us with it and we can't control it and can't stop it we've got to do it we're not drawn like that but he's given us like we was just talking about he's given us a better way to live better in this life and better in life to come he's told us all we need to know about it and how to how to get it and so that should be enough to draw us right there yeah uh the 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 person in the chat room referenced john chapter six and i think the verses he has in mind are john six verses 44 and 45 no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, if you stopped right there, you would come to the conclusion that it has to be some sort of miraculous drawing. God's going to draw miraculously. But read the next verse. It is written in the prophets, they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And so... Uh, the drawing is by way of the teaching of God's truth. And again, that goes back to that passage that we've referenced a couple times already, Titus 2.11. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us how to live for him. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Brethren, I commend you to the word of his grace, Notice, which is able to build you up to give you an inheritance among them, all them that are sanctified. Notice, but the connection is with the word, the word of his grace. And so I don't think there's any supernatural drawing, uh, no uh, 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 deliverance of grace apart from the revelation of God. In other words, we don't have to have some supernatural act of God upon us in order to be drawn to God. God draws us by the teaching of his word, but that was an act of grace in itself. Yeah, and you know, when you think about it, given the information and the two sets of consequences, either living good and going to heaven or living poorly and going to hell, logic would dictate that the good life and going to heaven would draw us you know that would be that should draw that should be enough to motivate us if we didn't have any other reasons for it. I think so. All right. <laughs> All right, so lots of lots of amazing things about God's grace, uh, and we really need to appreciate it. I, I, I am uh, willing to accept the criticism that is sometimes offered that we don't emphasize God's grace enough. I think there's a possibility that we do fail to emphasize the importance of God's grace as we really should. It is an amazing thing. 
So to, to whatever level we have failed to acknowledge the importance of God's grace, let us here say that's a bad thing. We, we've got to constantly be mindful of God's grace. We should be always thankful for it. Uh, we should absolutely never forget our dependence upon God's grace and, and how unworthy and undeserving that we are. All of that's true. So God's grace is really an amazing thing. Now, when we come back from this break, what we want to do is we want, we want to sort of flip the coin over and look at the other side. Uh, God's grace is amazing, but it is not as amazing as some people want it to be because some people would try to get things covered by grace that the Bible says are not covered by God's grace. And we'll talk about that when we come back from this break. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the virtual Bible study. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. I've heard you Church of Christ people say that you think you're the only ones going to heaven. Is that true? We're often asked this question, and we appreciate the opportunity to explain what we believe. Would you please give careful consideration to these simple points from the Bible? First, it is important to remember that God is the judge of eternal things. Our personal opinions do not matter. What you think, what we think, what some religious denomination teaches, none of this matters. In fact, Jesus said that many who think they will be saved will be lost in the last day. Read Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, also verses 21 through 23. The scriptures will be the standard of judgment, John 12, verse 48. Secondly, the New Testament clearly teaches who will be saved. It describes a simple plan of salvation that any accountable person can understand and obey. We must hear the truth, Romans 10:17, believe the truth, Hebrews 11, verse 6, repent of our sins, Luke 13, verse 3, confess our faith in Jesus, Romans 10, verse 10, and be baptized for remission of sins, Acts 2:38. If we remain faithful, we are promised a reward in heaven, Revelation 2, verse 10. This is not a human dogma or creed. It is the plain and simple teaching of God's word. If a person obeys these commands, they will be saved. If they do not, they will be lost. It's just that simple. The only ones going to heaven are the ones who submit to God's will and obey his commands. Now, where does the Church of Christ figure into all of this? Acts 2.47 tells us that those who were saved were added to the church by the Lord. When you do what you must do to be saved, as we were just describing, then you are automatically added to that church which you read about in the Bible. This is not some man-made denomination. It is the church that belongs to Jesus. It is, therefore, the Church of Christ, Romans 16, verse 16. Therefore, the answer to the question is yes, you must be a member of that church, the church that belongs to Jesus, the church that you become a member of by obeying the gospel plan of salvation. You must be a member of that church to go to heaven. Do you see it? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We take just a minute here to remind you that this virtual Bible study is brought to you each week on Thursday nights by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can check out uh, the College View Church at our website, collegeview.com. Actually, the virtual Bible study.com is an associated page there. And so you can kind of toggle back and forth between College View Church of Christ and the virtual Bible study. Uh, we've got a lot of resources there on our website. Uh, we've got some uh, archives of, well, we've got archives of on the Virtual Bible Study of, of all of our past episodes uh, in audio form. Uh, but on the College View part of the website, you can also find some uh, past sermons that have been preached here. You can find uh, recent bulletin articles that have been published in our bulletin. Uh, there's just a number of resources there. So go to thevirtualbiblestudy.com and collegeview.com and check out what we've got there. If you live anywhere near us in Middle Tennessee, come and visit us at the College View Church of Christ. We meet at 1618 Hampshire Pike on the west side of Columbia. Uh, easy to find, and we'd look forward to having you visit with us. We, we need to do a little catching up here, Monty, in the chat room. Uh, one uh, guest 9580 says, You can infer from the Bible that when a person gives their life to Christ, they will naturally want to do the right thing, just like you respect a parent because you love and appreciate them. I think there is some concept of that. Uh, I think there's 
different motivations that cause us to want to do the right thing, live for God, be faithful to him. One of them is because we love him and we appreciate what he's done for us. And, and I think that's the value of money of thinking about his grace. If, if someone does you great favors, you want to do for them in return. That's true in, in, our, in our human interactions. And that same sort of thinking ought to apply toward God. He's done great things for us. We ought to want to serve him because of that. You know, if, that's what it really boils down to. He's, he's gone out of his way to save us, to make it available, salvation available for us. <clears throat> and we didn't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. We can't be worthy of it in really in any shape, form, or fashion. So that's the unmerited favor part of it. So because he's given us something that we had no possible way of attaining ourselves, then we ought to be willing to be obedient and serve him. Yeah. But I wouldn't discount the fact that there are other motivations given in the Scripture, too. For instance, fear of what happens if you don't. That's yeah. a motivator, too. You know, when I think about that, I, I, we, should, uh, we should worship and serve God because we love him. But if you think about it as children, as infants, when, we, when our parents start to obtain us and we reach for something we don't need or shouldn't take hold of, they'll, they'll slap our hand. And so we we learn to be obedient at first because of fear of that pain that we we'll get. You know, as we get older, we'll get a, a spanking. Or I never had spankings. I had whippings. Yeah. But nevertheless, we, we first we learn to be obedient because of the fear of the consequences of it. But as we get older, my, my daddy would be 80 this year in his health and situation. He couldn't whip me if he wanted to. But I don't do things for him now because I'm afraid of, of what are the consequences of it. I do things now because I love him and I want to please him. Well, that same relationship is with God. Probably when most people become Christians, they do it because they absolutely are afraid of going to hell and don't want to go there for eternal punishment. But as we mature and grow in God's service, we have less of a concern about going to hell and a greater concern about being pleasing to him because we love him. Yeah, I think that's right. A couple more comments here. Uh, Rick in the chat room says, even from Old Testament times, God's grace has been extended to man in the form of a plan that when the conditions of the plan are met, man receives the gift God has offered by his grace. Um, example, Jericho and Naaman. A couple of Old Testament examples I think a lot of our listeners, we won't go into detail because he doesn't in his comment, but God gave them Jericho, but they had to obey his will to get the, the victory at that city. And Naaman the leper was cleansed of his leprosy, but he had to meet the conditions of dipping seven times in the Jordan River. Uh, there's a lot in those two examples. He says there are others. The same is true today. His grace is extended in the form of a plan that when we meet the conditions he has placed on receiving the gift, we receive the salvation he offers. Now, in response to that, there's been a little chat going on. Uh, Guest 384 says, if it's up to us to come to Jesus rather than the Spirit's work, how does God get all the glory? How is a person who believes more worthy than he who does not believe? What would you say to that, Monty? Well, it's got to do with... It's not got to do with worthy because none of us are worthy. There's not, as we've been talking about, I can't do anything to be worthy of this grace that God's extended to me. If I had lived a perfect, sinless life, that wouldn't make me worthy. That's, the New Testament tells me I'm still an unprofitable servant. I've just done what I was supposed to be doing. So it's not a matter of worthiness. It's, it's got to do with being obedient to him. And God has extended that grace to everyone. Everyone in the whole earth is equally unworthy, and everyone in the whole world has had this grace extended to us, this opportunity for salvation. And so that's how we have to look at it. And the glory goes to God because he didn't have to do that. If he'd done what he, what we deserved, what we was worthy of, he would have instantly obliterated us and destroyed us and sent us all to hell because that's what we're worthy of. Yeah. And so God is glorified because he put a plan in place that if we choose to, we can obey it and come to him and be saved. I think you're right. And and that's what we get. We get another response here in the chat room. 7712 says it's not a matter of more worthy. It's a matter of obedience to which the response was, I thought grace was unmerited favor. That indicates worthiness. Uh, if you have to obey to get it. And there's, there's he's suggesting that that is equivalent with worthiness. It's really not. No. Uh, you know. Uh, when we understand that obedience, it's just like uh, if if I offered you $10,000, come to my house tomorrow at 9 a.m. wearing a red hat, and I'll give you $10,000. Well, if you came at that exact time wearing a red hat, and I, I gave you 
the $10,000. You didn't earn it, you, and you weren't worthy of it, but you understood there were conditions in order to receive it. I it, just met the qualifications. And it would still be a gift. Mm-hmm. You didn't earn anything, and you weren't worthy of it. What you did didn't deserve it, but you got it anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're confused. The idea of being obedient does not... Doesn't earn me anything. It doesn't move us up on the on the rank of worthiness. It's not we're it's not we're not, we're unworthy. We keep saying that we're unworthy, but God has made His grace available to those who will meet His simple terms of pardon. Uh, we're not earning anything. Uh, you know, we talk about baptism for the remission of sins. You, you you're not earning your salvation when you're baptized. If you could earn your salvation by being baptized, then. You know, we could forcibly baptize people and and put them in position to be saved because they had gone through that physical act. That physical act does not earn salvation. You know, when I was a kid and we used to go swimming, us guys would, you know, slip up behind each other and dunk each other under the water. We would immerse each other in the water. Technically, that would be a baptism of sorts. It fulfills the meaning of the word. But that didn't get me anything. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't qualify for nothing special because of that. And the fact that as I understood the gospel and, and was baptized to have my sins washed away, as it's described in the Bible, that still didn't earn me anything. I, it just meant I was met a qualification in order to receive a gift. Uh, if we enter a seat sweepstakes sometimes, I used to see these things on a candy wrapper or whatever, and they was this sweepstakes, and it gives rules, things you had to do to qualify to be, to be in that contest. And you didn't earn it if I'd have... If I'd have found that special colored M&M and turned it in and got the million dollars or whatever it was several years ago, I didn't earn the million dollars. I just qualified to receive it. And so it's the same thing with salvation. The fact that I've done what God has told me to, those simple acts that I have to do to be pleasing to him, doesn't earn me anything. It just qualifies me to be in that pool of saved people. Now get this this follow-up uh, from 384. Has Christ accomplished salvation for the elect, or has he merely made it possible to save us if we allow him. I don't know if I would say that either way. He has not accomplished salvation for us. In other words, it's, it's, he, it's not done simply on by virtue of what he did. I'm not saved. He has made it available for he us. He has made it available for us. Uh, and I, and I don't think I would say it. Has he made it possible to save us if we allow him? I don't think I would say it that way, but he has made salvation available. Mm-hmm. He hasn't accomplished it for us. He didn't. It's not a finished thing until I respond. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how. Maybe we may be quibbling about words here. Uh, Rick asked, "Was Naaman worthy of his healing? Were the Israelites worthy of receiving Jericho? Obedience makes no one worthy. It simply meets the conditions God has set to receive the gift." I think you're right, Rick. Uh, and then 384 says, in other words, who is more powerful in salvation, God or sinful man? Who is the decisive party? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. That I don't that's really the re- know I don't, that I understand what he's trying to get at. I don't know. If that's the reasonable question. I mean, who is the decisive party? Well, God has decided. He already has decided to make salvation available to me through his, the blood of His Son Jesus Christ. Now there's a decision on my part. Both must decide. God has decided. Now I got to decide. Now I got to decide if I want it. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about some things that grace does not cover. Uh, God's grace is amazing, but it's not so amazing that for for one thing, Monty, and I suggested these to our update list in the question. It's not so amazing that I don't have to worry about sin. You know, sin is the thing to be concerned about constantly, I, and I cannot I cannot just say, well, uh, God's grace covers it, and therefore I don't have to worry about it. I you know I, I can just go on and do whatever I want. I don't. Have, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty good person, you know. I don't do really horrible things. Admittedly, there's some things that I do that I shouldn't be doing, but I just think since I'm a pretty decent person and God's grace has been bestowed, it'll kind of take care of the things where I'm not what I ought to be. You know, I heard somebody say one time that, and this person was a pretty good person. And I don't know of any moral bankruptcy that they had in their life. But he was talking about it. You know, he didn't do this or that. He says, but God's grace is just going to have to cover me on the speed limit because I drive too fast. Oh, wow. And what that said to me was, I know it's wrong to drive. What he was actually saying, I know it's a sin to, to break the law, but I'm going to do it anyway, and God's just going to have to forgive me of it. Yeah. Well, God don't have to forgive me of anything. Yeah. 
and what God has told me that if I want to be forgiven of things, I have to repent of them. So what this person was saying, they wasn't willing to repent of having a lead foot. Yeah. You know, uh, apparently there were some people in in the city of Rome who thought along those lines Mm -hmm. because Paul said in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so, you know, uh, apparently there were some who were saying, well, God's gracious. And, you know, in fact, we give him a chance to bestow more grace if we sin. Yeah, I can get more grace if I do more sinning. Well, yeah. I might as well go out and be a, a rapist and an axe murderer and things like that. And I can get a lot of grace then. Yeah. Uh, Paul said that was a crazy idea. Yeah, he said yeah. don't work that yeah. way. Yeah. So grace is not so amazing that you don't have to worry about sin. you got to keep working on the sin thing. Secondly... We ask, what about the, God, the grace being so great that sinners don't have to do anything to be saved? This is some of the uh, discussion that's been going on in the chat room. Is it possible that God's grace is so great that you don't have to do anything? He'll, he'll save you uh, just on your own, uh, or, or on his own, rather. God, God's grace is so great, he'll save you on his own, and you don't have to do anything to be saved. Well, we've talked about that quite a bit. Go back to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how people would like to use that statement. But all through the scriptures, we see people being told what they must do. Well, if you, the scriptures just said, if you go ahead and read the next verse, in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, no, we can't do enough good works to save ourselves, but we have an obligation to do these good works. That's what God has prepared that we should be doing. Yeah. Uh, in, in Acts 2, verse 37, when the first gospel sermon was preached on the day of Pentecost, and the, and the, when the men who heard it said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter did not say, you don't have to do anything. God's grace covers it all. He didn't say that. He no. gave them an answer. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, verse 6, Saul said, what wilt thou have me to do? And Jesus didn't say, you don't have to do anything. Grace covers it all. He told him what to do. Uh, the Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi, and, and the, after the earthquake and, uh, and so forth, the jailer rushed into where Paul and Silas were, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they didn't say nothing. They they went on to teach him and instruct him. And so even though grace is there and grace makes salvation possible, all throughout the scriptures we, we were instructed that men had to respond to that grace of God through obedience, through complying with his conditions of salvation. You know, and the Bible is really clear in that it gives examples of people that it weren't willing to comply. I believe it was King Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. He wasn't willing to commit and make that commitment to, to receive eternal life. So he went away and, as far as we know, never responded favorably to the gospel. All right, we've got to take a last break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few more things uh, that grace does not cover. Uh, God's grace is amazing, but some people try to pervert it. We'll talk more about it when we return with the last... Uh, segment of the virtual bible study right after these comments got a question about something you've heard on the virtual bible study send your questions to questions at collegeview.com we'll be right back after this i'm tom goodall a member of college views church of christ do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual bible study tonight perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard if so we'd love to hear from you please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Over six hours a day are spent by the average American family either watching movies, television, or videos. Dick Rolfe, movie and television specialist and head of the Dove Foundation, remarks, quote, 
When you spend that much time watching something, you have just developed new role models and a new window on life. And I think that's the destructive value of some television and movies. Viewers get the wrong impression and a distorted view of what life is really like. That information is via ChristianAnswers.net. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The Virtual Bible Study continues. And we're back for the, the final segment of our Virtual Bible Study for this Thursday night, May 19th, 2016. Um, we're talking about grace. We're talking about now the fact that some people try to pervert God's grace. One of the things they do, money is to try to suggest that First of all, they say you don't have to do anything to be saved, but we, we clearly see that the scriptures tell us there is something we must do to be saved. Then they say, well, you really don't have to be terribly strict about following God's rules. You know, this is all sort of <laughs> flexible. You know, it, it's just sort of wishy-washy out there. You're pretty much left to do as you please. God's not really concerned with strict obedience because he's a gracious God. He doesn't care whether you do exactly the right thing all the time. Well, from the beginning of the... Bible early, very early on in Genesis, we see that God had commanded a sacrifice to be offered when we read about the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel offered the sacrifice that was prescribed by God, and Cain didn't. And it says that he was not accepted. And really, if you're going to say, well, God really doesn't care, then God wouldn't have cared whether there was animal sacrifice or harvest of the uh, the tree sacrifice, he wouldn't have cared. Just, I'll be happy just as long as you sacrifice something if God didn't care. God told Cain that wasn't acceptable. Yeah. And then we go on over in in the Bible, and as we've been studying recently in uh, in Leviticus, we read about Nadab and Abihu, and they were given, prescribed, told where they were supposed to do everything. I mean, when you go through reading Exodus and Leviticus and all the things where it talks about God and the worship and how they were supposed to do in the great detail he went to that, Apparently, Nadab and Abihu missed some little detail about this issue of the incense and the fire. It says they offered strange fire. They didn't get the fire from the prescribed place. doesn't seem like a big deal. It probably wasn't but a few steps either way. And from our standpoint, fire is fire. I can't tell the difference. But God had fire come out and destroy them and kill them because that one little detail, they didn't get the fire where they were supposed to. And as we go through on through the New Testament and all the way through, even to the point at the end of Revelation, God's telling them, don't add to this, or I'm going to add to you all the plagues that's written in this book. Don't take away, or I'm going to take away your part out of the book of life. He's given them a lot of detailed information all the way through Old and New Testament and said, don't change a thing, or you're not going to heaven. That doesn't seem like a God that says, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you choose to do, it'll be all right. I don't really care. I think you're exactly right. Uh, in my notes here, I had... Uh uh, 20 times in First and Second Corinthians, Paul mentions grace. So it's a pretty serious theme of mm-hmm. his letters to the church at Corinth. In fact, First Corinthians starts out, chapter 1, verse 3, grace be unto you. But then notice, chapter 7, verse 19, he speaks of keeping of the commandments of God. Chapter 11, verse 2, keep the ordinances. Second Corinthians 2, verse 9, obedient in all things. So grace is clearly on Paul's mind. But he doesn't separate it from the necessity to be obedient in all things. So uh, one of the concepts that's faulty about grace is that because of God's grace, strict obedience is not a concern. You can just pretty much do what you want. That's, that's just not so. It's never been so uh, with God. Uh, quickly, moving on, doctrinal things, Monty. Doctrine doesn't matter. Uh, because of God's grace, there's this big umbrella thing thing of grace and so you can pretty well doctrinally believe whatever you want doctrine is not critical what about that well you know when we read about simon the sorcerer trying to buy the ability to impart spiritual gifts he was rebuked sharply and told he had no part in the matter uh apparently it did matter doctrine was what was important and we go all the way throughout the new testament reading things the various different things the commands we just talked about command commands are not optional they're not optional. I'll keep it if I want to. I won't if I don't want to. It don't really matter. That's not how a command is something you have to do. I think in our culture, because we think of ourselves as a free people and we don't have kings that can just, or dictators that can just arbitrarily make a rule and we got to obey it or, or we'll be took, drug outside and shot, 
we kind of got the idea that we can do what we want to. We'll obey the law if it suits us. We won't if it don't. And we're not used to that. But God, Jesus is our king. And the instructions he's given us are not optional behaviors. They have to be obeyed or you're not pleasing to them. I think that's right. I think you're exactly right. Uh, on this doctrine thing, Monty, notice this. Galatians 1, beginning verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, notice, they had been called into God's grace. Mm-hmm. Now, but notice, he says, there are some that would trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So they had been called into God's grace, but now they were being troubled by what? A different gospel. A different, a doctrinal thing. Someone was teaching a different doctrines. Well, what would it matter if they were in God's grace? Why would Paul make that stern warning if they were in God's grace and doctrine doesn't matter then because of God's grace? The, the warning that he issues there doesn't seem to make much sense. And he, and he was really he was serious enough about this that he said it twice. You know, it's, it's sort of like sometimes we tell our kids or we tell somebody, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to understand this is what we will repeat it for emphasis. Well, he's done that here to make understood without doubt that we have to follow the gospel and we don't need to be troubled. We don't need to pervert it. We've got to do exactly what it says. Exactly right. And if we don't, we're going to be accursed. Exactly right. Quickly, we're almost out of time, but uh, what about the idea, because of grace, I don't have to be baptized? Uh, there are so many Bible passages that teach the necessity of baptism. I, I, it, to me, it's just really amazing that anybody would try to conclude that you don't have to be baptized when there are so many Bible verses that teach the necessity of baptism. But one of the ideas out there is the idea that baptism is contradictory to the notion of grace and that if you teach the necessity of baptism, you're you're denying the the power of God's grace. I got one one passage here, Monty. Think about this in Titus 3. Titus 3, beginning verse 7. After that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's Again, that's Titus 3, 4 through 7. Notice, we're justified by his grace, it says. It talks about the kindness and love of God talks about his by his mercy he saved us but notice it also talks about the washing of regeneration all those things are linked together so you got grace kindness and love mercy but you also got the washing of regeneration they're they're not they're inseparable you know i would say not that the grace of god means that i don't have to be baptized but the grace of god gives me the opportunity to be baptized to have my sins washed away yeah all right uh, one last thing. Uh, uh, this is a this is a massive perversion of the idea of grace, and that is the idea that once you're saved, you're always saved. That eternal salvation is a, is assured because of God's grace. You don't have to worry about continued faithfulness. Uh, we, we've often talked about the false doctrine of impossibility of apostasy. Once saved, always saved. Um, Sometimes our our religious friends call it the security of the believer. Uh, But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you that, notice, you receive not the grace of God in vain. Uh, Here's Paul writing to Christians at Corinth, and he said there was a possibility that they could receive the grace of God in vain. Well, that would mean that they could fall out of his grace, right? That they could be lost even though they had once enjoyed the benefits of his grace. You know, if you look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it says, be faithful, at the end of the verse, it says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. If I couldn't fall away, then I wouldn't, then the Jesus or the Spirit where there wouldn't be saying, be faithful till death. If yeah. I couldn't fall away, that would fall away. It's not an option. I, that's wasted words. Yeah. But what if I have a command here to be faithful to death, tells me that I have an option of being unfaithful and I can fall away and not receive that crown of life. Exactly right. 
couple more verses here real quickly. We're out of time. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Look, a man could fail of the grace of God. But without a doubt, probably the most powerful statement of all is Galatians 5, verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. You can fall from grace. Uh, you know, that. that that's a uh, an argument that I just don't think can be dealt with by those who teach once saved, always saved. You can fall from grace. The scripture says you can. And therefore, we are not assured of salvation without ongoing efforts to faithfully serve God. Grace doesn't cover that. Well, we're out of time. We've talked about God's grace. We tried to emphasize on a very positive note that God's grace truly is an amazing, amazing thing. It is amazing grace. But what we've had to say here at the end of our study is don't take that for more than it is. Don't try to make of that more than what the Bible allows. God's grace is amazing, but it's not so amazing that it covers some of those things we have just described. Well, we thank you for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Monty, thanks for your help. Thank you for having me. Kyle, thanks for your good work uh, controlling the board over there. Always good to be here. Uh, uh, We'll conclude our study tonight. But with an invitation for you to return next Thursday night, Lord willing, same time, same place, for another episode of the Virtual Bible Study. And as Jacob always says, read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.